this brings us to scene two, where Cain murders his brother and God sentences him. You see, the result of Cain's wrong relationship with God is that he has a wrong relationship with his brother as well. Let me take you through a three-step chain a moment, and I'll repeat it because it's a little complicated. Cain first fails in his theology, that is, in his thinking about God. He thinks God will kind of wink at his sin and look at it through the fingers and accept him for his good work. So he's got wrong thinking about God and his holiness. He fails in his theology. And because he fails in his theology, he fails at the altar. He fails in his worship. And because he fails in his worship, he will fail in his ethics. That is, his relationship with others. His sense of right and wrong. And you see, that's still true today. You fail in your theology, you will fail in your worship. You fail in your worship, you will fail in your relationship with others. Now, I don't, I'm not, I'm not denying that sometimes counselors can give people on uh, lessons on human relationships, or people can go to some group that will help them relate better to other people, and it will help somewhat. That's possible. But certainly the great bulk of failure in human relationships today, in every area, also in the church, stems from having a wrong relationship with God and a wrong understanding of the gospel and a wrong sense of worship. It is not surprising that Cain comes in trouble with Abel when he has a wrong understanding of God, of his gospel, and of his justice. And so we're not surprised, are we, to read in verses 5 and 6 that Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. He thought he deserved much better. And the Lord said unto Cain, why are, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If, notice what God says in verse 7, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? If you bring a sacrifice as Abel did, shall you not be accepted? If you bring a bloody sacrifice. And if thou doest not well, if, if you continue to bring sacrifice in your own strength, sin lieth at the door. If you have to live out of your own strength, Cain, sin is crouching as an enemy at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire. Thou shalt rule over him. What is God doing here? Well, God is warning Cain. You go on in your self-religious way and you will court disaster. The way for you to rule over sin, Cain, is to obey God in his way of salvation. But Cain, instead of mastering sin, by bringing the bloody sacrifice and finding strength over sin through Christ is being mastered by sin because he's coming in his own strength. You see, sin is crouching at the door is what the original means, ready to spring on him. Can you destroy yourself, God says. God lovingly warns him, if you keep going this way. And friend, that's why I say to you tonight, if you have not found salvation in the blood of Jesus Christ, sin is crouching at the door. You are on the verge of destroying yourself. Sin is always crouching at our door. Sometimes it crosses our threshold. Sometimes it masters us. But our only hope, you see, if we would master sin, is to be first mastered by Him who alone mastered sin, the Lord Jesus Christ. He mastered it perfectly. 
and he alone. And we must be the masters, belong to the master with a capital M, shall we ever learn how to master sin? Have you learned that lesson? Have you learned in Jesus Christ alone is your salvation not only, but also is your strength to fight sin and temptation? Well, then verse 8 says, Cain talks with Abel, his brother. We don't know the conversation, but Cain is stronger than Abel. He's angry. He doesn't want to listen to God. He reaches out when they're in the field and he kills his brother. Cold-blooded, premeditated murder. The first murderer produces the first martyr. What a tragedy. The seed of the devil persecutes the seed of the woman. That's what's happening here. It's not just Cain and Abel. It's a conflict between two seeds already coming to early manifestation. And already it seems like Satan is winning the battle. Abel is dead. Cain is alive. But Satan is not winning the battle. No more than when Jesus died. And Satan went on living. You see, because Abel, by faith, was in Christ and gained the victory. Yes, he was killed, but he was killed into glory. And Cain was really defeated because he became a vagabond and a wanderer in the earth. He has the outward victory, but he has the inward torment. Cain has the outward torment, but he has the inward victory. Well, he slays him. But then God goes further with Cain. And he puts his finger on the simmering anger in Cain's spirit. That's the source of the violence, that inward anger. Oh, that's a dreadful thing, friends. Jesus warned about that, didn't he? You have heard it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, Whosoever is angry with his brother shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. What is, what is, what is Jesus saying? What, what is this story about here? Well, God is talking to us about our attitudes to each other. God is putting his finger on my life and on your life too, and he's saying, my dear child, you watch your simmering anger. You watch that spirit that is rising within your breast. You watch that sin that is crouching at the door, waiting to spring on you and to devour you. Oh, you say, but come on. Everyone's like that. A little bit, everyone's got anger in them, and a little bit of anger doesn't, doesn't harm us. Besides, it's better to get it off your chest and, and, to, and to just say, well, I, I really hate that person, or I hate you. Friends, all anger, that is not righteous anger, there is such a thing as righteous anger. All selfish, unrighteous anger is like a wild beast crouching at the door, God says. Cain, it will destroy you, and friend, it will destroy you if you don't fly to Jesus Christ with it and seek forgiveness. 
You see, ultimately, it's not Abel who's destroyed, but Cain. My punishment is greater than I can bear. I'm a vagabond in the earth. But notice how the sinful spirit breathes in Cain. God comes to him and God says, Where is Abel thy brother? Thy brother. What does Cain do? As a type of the ungodly seed, the first thing he does is he tells a blatant lie, doesn't he, boys and girls? He thinks he can kill his brother and get away with it. He says, I know not. That's a big lie, isn't it? He knew exactly where his brother was. He was lying in his blood on the ground. Of course he knew. And then on top of this deception, there is this belligerent cynicism towards God. Towards God. The Almighty, the All-Knowing. In Cain's infamous question, the first human question in the Bible, a question that was even worse than his lie, a question of sarcasm. Am I my brother's keeper? You can almost see Cain, can't you? His chin out, his selfish demeanor, and even an air of defiance and a curled lip, as it were, a belligerence against God. He's brazen, even in the face of the Almighty. Am I my brother's keeper? And he, even, he's even ironic. He, he, he has a play on words here, you see. Because remember, Abel, we just saw a few verses before, was a keeper of the sheep. And Cain uses the same word. It's as if he says, Lord, you accepted the keeper's sacrifice. So why don't you take care of the keeper? Am I the keeper's keeper? Cain argues with God as if he's one-on-one with God, as if he's an equal with God. He's going to treat God, if he could, no doubt, like, like he treated his brother. He defies the heavenly judge. Cain is utterly, radically selfish. He's a world to himself. He's a God to himself. Small g. And friends, that's the essence of the spirit of the world. The world has no fear of God. The world takes no responsibility for its sin. And the world has no true love for its neighbor. The world lives for itself. Now, by nature, that spirit lives inside of you and of me. Do you believe that? That selfish spirit. No, you didn't go out and murder your brother physically. But whenever you see and you hear yourself coming up with harsh and bitter and sarcastic insolence against someone else, you ought to tremble and think of Cain. Whenever you feel that angry look in your eye or you see it in your neighbor's eye toward one another, even a Christian brother or sister, you ought to tremble and think of Cain. Whenever you say, I just can't stand him, or you hear someone else say it, you ought to tremble and think of Cain. Or when you're on the receiving end, when you get sarcastic, belligerent letters or phone calls or angry emails or receive verbal abuse of one kind or another, 
we ought to tremble and think of Cain. Or when we're the ones doing it. Brazenly. Questioning God. How often you don't hear people say, maybe you even said it, you know, if I were God, I'd do it differently. You ought to tremble. And think of Cain, putting yourself on a level with God. Or could it be even when we say, why doesn't God answer my prayer? As if we somehow deserve something from God. As sinners, we ought to tremble and think of Cain. You see, the Supreme Judge is not going to be misled by our bold and rash denials. He openly exposes the sin of the murderer. Notice what he says. What hast thou done? And when Cain doesn't respond to that, the all-knowing God goes right on and declares, you know very well what you've done, Cain. The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Shed spilled blood always cries to God in Scripture. The blood of violence and murder cries to God in the case of Abel. The blood of the Lamb cries to God for the Israelites in Egypt that they might be protected. The blood of Jesus cries to God for mercy upon the believing penitent. The blood of the unborn in America today cries to God for vengeance on our land. You can't shed blood and get away with it. I'm not talking just about open murder. I'm talking about murdering someone's reputation. Judging them prematurely. Talking about inner bitter anger. Unresolved anger. Would you like to deepen your understanding of Reformed theology? Check out Reformed Systematic Theology, Volume 4, Church and Last Things by Dr. Joel Beakey and Paul Smalley to explore key scripture topics from biblical, doctrinal, experiential, and practical perspectives. Pre-order the culmination of Dr. Beakey's life's work at heritagebooks.org forward slash RST4. I'm talking about the cynical, belligerent spirit of Canaan. Do you treat other people that way? You ought to tremble and think of Cain. You see, God's not going to let Cain go. God finds him out. And the second scene ends with God judging Cain. Look at verses 11 and 12. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee for her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. Cain receives a worse curse than Adam. Adam received the curse about the ground, but for Cain it's even worse. It won't even yield the fruit. That's frustration. God says you're going to put all your energies into this soil, Cain, and it's not going to bear crops for you. You thought you could come to me with the work of your hands, and now I'm going to let you go out and do all the work you can with your hands, and you won't have any fruit. 
You'll see for yourself what your hands can do without my blessing. But then something worse. You're going to be a vagabond upon the earth. That's what happened. Verse 16. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Nod means wandering. He has no home. He has no future. And still Cain refuses to fall before God. You know what he should have done, boys and girls? He should have fallen before God at that moment and cried out with Jacob, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Have mercy upon me, murderer that I am. Oh God, is there no blood for me? Is there no sacrifice for me? But the Bible says something terrible. Oh, we can tremble when we read these words. And Cain, see it doesn't say God drove out the man Cain, though he deserved it. God punished him. God judged him. But look what verse 16 says. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Cain chose not to repent. Cain chose not to believe and to obey. Cain chose to destroy himself. Oh, my dear, dear unconverted friend. Do you see your picture here tonight? And will you not cry out to God for mercy? And to all of us, also believers, do we see something of what we are like tonight in Cain? We too must fly to God for mercy. Scene three. Cain pleads with God, and God has mercy on him. Look at verses 13 and 14. My punishment is greater than I can bear, he says to God. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me, three me's and three eyes. That's his world. Selfish. Nothing about God or Adam or Eve. Imagine how he hurt his parents. Or Abel. No regret. No repentance. Cain's world revolves around Cain. He fears physical and social exposure more than the invisible God who has made him. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. He recognizes God's punishment, but he takes it to an unwarranted conclusion. God didn't say, whoever finds you will kill you. It's Cain's own insecurity and his own anxiety. It's an amazing thing about the worldly spirit of Cain. The worldly spirit is so brazen and so bold and it judges people ahead of time and and comes out with harsh words and, 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 and attacks, personal attacks. And yet, the spirit of the world is insecure and anxious. The same man who rose up and killed his brother becomes a whimpering, fearful, self-pitying, broken man when he hears his own punishment. You see, Cain thinks that he should have gotten off the hook with something less. And Cain didn't realize what he had done. 
He didn't realize what he had done to God, what he had done to Adam, what he had done to Eve, what he had done to Abel, what he was doing to the very creation around him. Cain is a perfect example of worldly sorrow. You read of that in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10. The sorrow of the world worketh death. That's what he had. He was sorrowful for himself. He was sorrowful for the consequences of sin. That's the sorrow of the world. The sorrow of the world is selfish. It's got a vague repentance. The sorrow of the world is something like this. Well, I've done nothing too bad, but, but if you're offended, well, uh, I'll apologize anyway, and uh, if I've mistreated anyone, but I don't really think I have. That's the sarcastic sorrow of the world. Cain doesn't have a thorough confession of guilt here. There's no begging for mercy. There's no realization of what sin deserves. He doesn't become a lost sinner before God. How about us? I'm including myself, congregation. How about us? How deep is our repentance? Have you learned to hate sin because God hates it? Regardless of its consequences? Have you learned to confess sin? To forsake sin? To grieve over sin? To bow under sin's just judgment? You see, here's one mark of true confession. When you have true confession, you always think you get less than what you deserve. When you have false confession, you always think you get punished more than you deserve. True confession, well, then you realize you don't deserve to live at all. It was a wonder that Cain even lived at all. Wasn't it a wonder? Genesis 9, 6, Whoso sheds a man's blood, by him shall his blood be shed. Cain deserved to die. It was only God's sovereign prerogative that withheld it from him. But he deserved to die. He doesn't realize it. That's why John says in 1 John 3, 12, Don't be as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brothers were righteous. So what do you fear most? Do you fear most exposure of men or the invisible God who has made you? You ever complain about your punishment? Boys and girls, you complain about your punishment? You say sometimes to your mom or dad, Oh, but that isn't fair. My brother got this or my sister got that. Or when my sister did wrong, you, you, you didn't punish her. You, you punish her more than you punish me. That's the way of Cain coming out in your depravity, children. You see, children, if we come before God as a lost sinner, it's a wonder every day that God puts up with us that we are still alive. Has that ever become a mystery to you? You too, child of God. More and more a mystery. The longer we live, one of the greatest mysteries is that God still puts up with me. God still bears with me despite all my sin, despite all my can-like inclinations. God still deals with me. That's amazing. It's a miracle. It's a mystery. The mystery is only resolved in Christ. But that's what God does with Cain here. It's just amazing, isn't it? Verse 15. It's just amazing. Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. 
And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. This wasn't saving grace, but it certainly was common grace. Cain did not deserve one little inch of common grace, and God gives him a whole foot. God is showing Cain his tendency, his proneness to have mercy. And still Cain is so at enmity with God, he doesn't get the message. He still doesn't cry for mercy. But he goes right out, the next verse says, and he goes out of the presence of the Lord. God mingles mercy with his judgment, and Cain doesn't get the message. And my dear unconverted friend, God mingles mercy with every judgment he sends your way this, in this world, and you still aren't getting the message. Every piece of clothing you have, every bite of food, as we heard this morning, you put in your mouth, every sip of water you take, a home over your roof, a job to go to, family and friends, these are all the common mercies of God undeserved by you. Every piece of clothing in your closet is saying to you, God is still willing to have mercy. Seek Him, sinner. But like Cain, you're not hearing the voice of God. Oh, sinner, awake from the dead. And Christ shall give thee light. Well, we have to close. Let me close by giving you what I think is the dominant impression of Genesis 4. I think the dominant impression of Genesis 4 is the exceeding sinfulness of sin. And we need to learn that, friends. What do we learn from Genesis 4? We learn that sin is essentially proud disobedience and defiance of God. And we learn that that lives in our nature because of our deep fall in Adam. And just because it lives in our nature doesn't mean we're off the hook. It means we're on the hook. And it means that if we don't repent and believe in Jesus Christ, we will destroy ourselves because sin will spread like a contagious poison or a raging fire and lead to disobedience and destruction. Pride. Pride, in Cain's case, led to disobedience. Disobedience led to God's chastening hand. He did not accept his offering. God's chastisement led to anger and resentment. This led to jealousy. Jealousy and envy led to murder and violence. You see, sin is like fast-growing cancer. And God says, not just to Cain, but when he says it to Cain, he wants you and me to overhear the conversation tonight. God says to Cain and also to us, Sin is lying at the door like a wild beast ready to pounce you. Hear the message of sin and fly to Jesus Christ for mercy. Thank you for listening to Doctrine for Life with Dr. Joel Beakey. If you were encouraged by this episode and would like to hear more, please consider subscribing and sharing with a friend. To enjoy more resources from the pen and pulpit of Dr. Beakey, please visit joelbeakey.org.